to Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill episode number 82, where we go back, back to, the, to past the past and read a comic book from the yesteryear of publishing. You can find us every Sunday on chrisandreggie.podbead.com or pick us up from iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and by the light of the Olympic torch. Hmm. Ooh, sounds like we're, you know, the Olympics did just end the Winter Olympics in... They uh, did. Uh, South Korea, so this is very timely, as we are known to be, of course, Chris, right? We're always, always very good at capitalizing on whatever the, uh, is happening in current events. In the world, yes. So this is, this is a book, uh, that Chris picked up from the, uh, Cheapo Bins. It's Gymnastics mm-hmm. Number 1, October 1984 cover date by Bill Mitchell and Alan Larson, published by Redstone Production. And it's a uh, dollar fifty in every kind of monies, I guess, or maybe <laughs> maybe it didn't get maybe it didn't get that full North American distribution. So yes, it didn't make it across the border. Yeah. Now, before we get to the book itself, let's talk about our creative team and uh, what precious little we have of them. Uh, let's first meet Bill Mitchell, who, isn't that the Donkey Kong guy with the bolo ties? That's what I would have gone with, because there's almost no information. That's the first name I thought of, though, of course, the hot sauce fella. Yes, the hot sauce yeah. guy. <laughs> he was the, the Pac-Man kill screen guy. That's right. Yeah. Uh, well, now, this Bill Mitchell actually created, along with a fellow by the name of Kimball Thorpe, a character called Bean Man, who appeared in their self-published Organic Tales, issues one through five. This is back in 1976. He also published a book of drawings celebrating Star Trek's 50th anniversary, uh, and we don't think the Star Trek people <laughs> were aware of that. Uh, now, if we found the right fella, he's still quite active in the New Hampshire small press comics world, and uh, Bean Man lives on. Uh, of gymnastics, Bill would say... Looking back, gymnastics is a very rough and amateurish piece of work, but I will always be proud of what it was among the, because it was among the first wave of black and white self-published comics distributed in the mid 1980s. And that is a true fact about this it comic. You can't, take, <laughs> you can't take that away. I gotta say, uh, publishing a comic called Organic Tales in 1976 with a character Bean Man that really paints a picture, <laughs> right? That tells you really a little bit. Everything you need to know, I think. Uh, <laughs> over on the other side of the table, we got Alan Larson. He first met, met Bill Mitchell at SUNY Oneonta, where they were both art students. After college, Alan would remain near Oneonta and work as a, a potter for Born in the Morning Pottery. They would soon move to New Jersey and be out of business by the mid-1980s. Alan actually paid for and published the uh, two issues of gymnastics that exist that Right, that's all that it, I believe that's yep, all. That's there is. all that. That's all uh, there was in the world. Uh, that was all they needed to have, as you'll find. Yes. Uh, Alan <laughs> would go on to publish Goon Patrol via Pinnacle Comics. Uh, the sole issue of this included a Bean Man backup strip by Mitchell and Thorpe. Alan would work in the independent comics world from 1984. Jim Nassix was his first professional work until 1991, and uh, he suffered from Crohn's disease. Unfortunately, passed away in 1999. Yes. Now, uh, set the table a little bit. Here's a we're gonna do a little brief bit about the '80s black and white comics boom. Here, uh, now black and white comics began to pro- proliferate, uh, taking cues from the independence of the underground comics and the new venues offered through direct distribution. We go much deeper on that in our underground comics series. That's episodes 12 through 16 of Weird Comics History, available in the archives. Uh, for now, we're gonna briefly discuss three notable black and white independent comics that, to our minds, are 
part of the catalyst for the books such as the one that uh, we'll be discussing shortly. Absolutely. And uh, the first one is Cerebus the Aardvark, written and drawn by Canadian cartoonist Dave Sim. Self-published under his Aardvark Vanheim banner, artist Gerhard would jump on for backgrounds with the 65th issue. And, then, and boy, those backgrounds started to pop. An anthropomorphic aardvark's wacky adventures. Uh, many genre-spanning, uh, you know, theme-spanning adventures. Yes. <laughs> Published issue number one in 1977, and over the course of 27 years would produce a continuous, though strange, 300-issue story arc. The entire run is collected in several paperback omnibi known as phone books because they are chunky and printed on pulp paper. Uh, phone books used to be books that contained phone numbers, kids. Uh, anyway. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Offered the second collection, High Society, in 1984, by mail order only. Uh, that annoyed comics retailers who had been loyal to the comic, but it was a huge financial windfall for Sim, grossing over $150,000 in sales in 1980s dollars, mind you. So, mm-hmm. very big, large amount of money. At this point, Cerebus shifted from a parody of the sword and sorcery barbarian genre of comics like Conan, Tor, guys like that, uh, and comics in general to social commentary on creators' rights, politics, gender, entertainment, and religion. Uh, Dave Sim guest wrote the 10th issue of Todd McFarlane's Spawn and gave his entire fee, $100,000, to the Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, an amazingly weird and pretentious issue, especially during the heyday of Image Comics' 90s excess. It's like, very, it's is that the one where it's uh, all the DC characters' arms? Or all the Marvel and DC right, yeah, characters' yeah, arms are hanging out of a cell. It's, and, it's yeah. all commentary on creators' rights that... Really did not shit. really spawn this <laughs> thing. Uh, anyway, uh, Sim Cerebus is still on the shelves today in the form of Cerebus in Hell, of which a new issue came out a couple of weeks ago, I believe. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. Yeah. Uh, we got another one here, Elf Quest, by uh, Wendy and Richard Peeney, a husband and wife team from Poughkeepsie, New York. The first Elf Quest story was published in underground comic book Fantasy Quarterly, number one, that was May 1978, which folded almost immediately after publication. <laughs> uh, now, the Peenies were very disappointed in the quality of this comic book, so they decided to, to form Warp Graphics. Uh, the name is an anagram. It's Wendy and Richard Peeney, basically. Mm. Or, actually, that is what it is. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, basically about it. Uh, now they did this with borrowed money, and uh, they self-published ElfQuest number two in 1978. The initial arc would continue until 1984 for 20 issues, with issue 21 being a reprint of the first installment uh, that took place in Fantasy Quarterly, along with fan letters. Along the way, this title became a wild fan favorite, and while it's no longer a black, it's no longer a black and white comic. It moved over to Marvel, DC had them for a while. They, they've been everywhere. Yeah. Uh, in fact, the final issue of ElfQuest, The Final Quest, shipped just a few weeks ago, wrapping up the 40-year story. At least for now. Right. <laughs> uh, for our long-form discussion on ElfQuest, you can check out episode 38 on the Cosmic Treadmill uh, in the archives. Yeah, one of my favorite episodes, too. So That was a good one, yeah. I think that one up. We had a good time on that one. Uh, there are many other black and white comics that could be named during this period, like Thousands, probably, right? At least. (laughs) Hundreds, but, you know, probably thousands. But let's jump to the big boy. Uh, That would be Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, created by Kevin Eastman and Peter Laird. Uh, Also New Hampshire natives, just like our gymnastics uh, Mm -hmm. writer. This is four anthropomorphic turtles that do ninja stuff under the guidance of an anthropomorphic rat. Eastman and Laird formed Mirage Studios in Dover, New Hampshire, and self-published two issues of a book called Gobbledygook. This was done in a copier and didn't feature any TMNT stories, 
but it did have an ad for the first issue on the back cover of Gobbledygook number two. They also took out a full-page ad in Comics Buyer's Guide number 545, which arguably reached more people, I would think. Uh, (laughs) Using money from their tax returns and some borrowed from Eastman's dad, Eastman and Laird published a run of 3,275 copies of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number one in May 1984. This debuted at a Dover comic book convention a few months earlier than this very issue that we're about to discuss of gymnastics. Maybe uh, we're about to we're about to get a little controversial. Oh, com- we'll get there. <laughs> comic book speculation <laughs> was on the rise, and when in mo- and when in the months, copies of this initial printing were going for hundred and fifty dollars in some places. Uh, that resulted in a massive black and white comic explosion, which will be detailed in the aforementioned series about direct about the direct market. Dozens, if not hundreds, of titles were produced between nineteen eighty five and nineteen ninety three. I would even venture to say. Clearing a thousand. I really, I Easy. really think yeah. it was so. I mean, if, if we go for all the ones that had one issue, like gymnastics, like I mean, gym, or they had a couple, yeah. uh, it, it, I mean, it was unbelievable. Uh, 130 issues over four volumes of the main Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles issues were published between 1984 and 2014, as well as 77 issues of Tales of the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles over two volumes and many miniseries and crossovers too numerous to list. All those were produced by Mirage Studios even after the property was sold to Nickelodeon, a subsidiary of Viacom, on October 21, 2009. Several new Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles series are currently published by IDW, who have published more than 60 issues of their longest-running TMNT series at the time of this recording, and they've also brokered crossover two crossovers with Batman. Yep. Now, yep. so and I, I think they're going to be in the new Injustice video game too. Wow. I mean, yeah, <laughs> quite a property for something that is a, a goof, really. But anyway, yeah, basically, right? And I think uh, IDW just announced one or two more series. Wow. So it's, uh, it's healthy. It's thriving. It's doing all right. <laughs> <laughs> now let's meet the man of the hour. Who is gymnastics? Well, if you look online, it takes a little while to find it, but we found something from Bill Mitchell's 25th anniversary of gymnastics blog post that was dated May 3rd, 2009. In it, he says, gymnastics began as a character Bill created for his comic book friend, Alan Larson, to work on. You see, Alan liked Bean Man. He liked him a lot. In fact, so much that Bill and Kimball were kind of being driven crazy by Alan drawing his own Bean Man stories and creating some fabulous silkscreen prints with Bean Man in them. Bill thought if only he and Alan had their own character to write and draw stories for. Bill started thinking, and he came up with the idea of gymnastics. In this way, Bean Man indirectly brought about the creation of Gymnastics Comics. Gymnastics was an Olympic athlete and involved in Cold War shenanigans at the 1984 Olympic Games. Jim was kind of an updated version of Captain America. Kind of, yeah. Kind of. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) If you squint. Uh, With a secret serum invented by secret government scientists that gave him super super bouncing and acrobatic powers. Spoiler alert. Yeah. Uh, Alan and Bill spent many hours pre-interviewing internet talking on the phone and preparing the first issue of gymnastics comics it was to be it was to be unveiled at the may 3rd 1984 portsmouth comic-con here is where the story gets weird Mm, that day on the other side of the convention floor another self-published black and white comic book was being unveiled just a little thing called teenage mutant ninja turtles number one Mm. see peter laird and kevin eastman the turtles creators were also from dover new hampshire and had also picked up the small Portsmouth convention 
to roll out their newest comic creation. Uh, most of us know that what happened to their creation, but what about poor gymnastics? <laughs> gymnastics number one did okay and made Alan a few dollars. Alan fronted most of the money to publish the black and white comic. Gymnastics number two came out sometime later and did less well. Gymnastics number three was prepared but never printed. Old copies of gymnastics are kicking around on the internet trying to be sold by folks here and there. A lesson that no matter how small or bad a publication is, it will probably remain in existence somewhere and that someone will probably be trying to sell it for a buck on eBay or for a quarter in Arizona. Yes. Uh, whenever I see a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles comic, however, I always think about gymnastics and my own personal what if things had been different story. <laughs> oh, God, I was not ready for that. <laughs> Happy 25th anniversary, gymnastics. Wow. Can't make it up. Wow. Just think today we could be looking at four IDW series about gymnastics. If they, if things had worked slightly differently, right, Chris? <laughs> They'd be like feature films. Oh, God. We could be looking at yeah, comics, cartoons, toys. Lego playsets. It could be unbelievable right now, but nope. It, well, it all went to the turtles for some unknown reason. And let me tell you, folks, one thing we're not going to be able to do is show you the comic, unfortunately. But, uh,. The gymnastics could be in the next Injustice game. <laughs> wow. Oh, it, I think we need to get like a Kickstarter going to get this Gymnastic 3 printed. If, if it's all ready to go, I mean, oh. the, the prep work is done. We just got to get sure. it Sure. Yeah. We're in a digital world now. We can get that done <laughs> too sweet. Down, no problem, really. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Ooh, okay, now with the table set, let's get right on into gymnastics number one. Now, the cover shows our titular hero clad in a USA tank top and bright yellow short shorts. If you look at him quickly, his abs look like they're a volleyball. Yeah. So you might think he plays a completely different sport. Uh, also worth noting, he has a dog that kind of resembles Snoopy. Yeah. Now, this is a wraparound cover. I didn't realize that the first time. But uh, <laughs> on the back, we see a blonde woman and a bald man being restrained by the police. Hmm. We open the book to find Jim in his private investigator office doing a series of flips in his office uh, in front of a very unimpressed and hippie young lady. See, this was before standing desks, Chris. You had to, you know, if you wanted to get the blood flowing, you had to do some flips in the you office. To, you had to get on the hobby horse. Yeah. Ellen thinks to herself, big deal. See, she's not impressed. Uh, she's there to inquire about a secretarial position, though. Yeah, Jim goes, well, come right in and fill out this application. I don't fill out forms, Mr. Nastics. I'm sick to death of them. You got a question? Ask them now. Yikes. The rest of the interview goes just as smoothly. Um, what kind of experience do you have, miss? I'm very qualified, Mr. Nastics, and it's Ms. Ms. Ellen Font. My friends call me Ellie. Get it? Uh-huh. Very clever. Uh -huh. Wow, using the same brilliance of the title of the comic. Uh, you, you don't drink, do you? All you detective types seem to think you have to be stewed all the time. <laughs> Who's conducting this interview really? anyway? <laughs> well, Jim answers the question. He goes, uh, no, I don't. Good. Don't make personal phone calls to women either. Um, um, <laughs> I'm unattached. Well, don't get any ideas. I'll tell you what. I'll give the job a shot. Did he offer her a job? This is how you got to be in today's job market. You got to be very aggressive, you know. Well, it works because Jim goes, um, does, does Mondays, how does Monday sound? Hold it. 
I want to know everything about you first. Now, since we're an audio program, we should probably mention that this single page, and yeah, this is just the first page, had 25 exclamation points on it. Although in this age of comic decompression, it's nice to see that this much, but we started with flips, and you know what I mean? Like, there's a lot going on on this page. And again, you really almost got to see it to believe it, folks. It really beggars belief. Uh, this takes us into flashback land where gymnastics explains it all. Da, 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 da. We watch him finish a routine with the steady rings and uh, land to thunderous applause. Well, I mean, one guy's clapping. One guy's so he, he seems thrilled about it. We then head to the locker room for some hot gymnastics showering action. Yep, Jim's in the shower thinking to himself, I worked hard to get here. Why not bask in the glory a little? Uh, he's going to bask in glory while in the shower? I didn't know it was that kind of comic. Well, well, it's not. Uh, his celebration, whatever it was, is interrupted by the off-panel shout of his coach. You can stop the daydream, gymnastics. Daydreaming, sure. The coach, outside of a hat and sneakers, uh, the coach looks like he's completely naked here. Yes. <laughs> I just came by to remind you that there's an early broad practice tomorrow at 5 a.m. I want you and that sex pot hilly to keep your engines in low gear tonight, if you get my drift. Sex pot sex hilly? Pot hilly? <laughs> what is that? Well, he must be talking about Olympic figure skater Hillary Landon. Oh, of course. Yeah, as Jim thinks to himself, Hillary Landon is very special to me. I met her on our first exhibition tour, and it was a match made in heaven. Some people say opposites attract. Uh, he watching her from the stands, and she scores perfect tens from the judges. She then approaches, and they make out. Until a bald man approaches. Yeah, this is Doc, and he says, Excuse me for interrupting, but you were incredible out there, miss. Never have I seen such style and grace. Your performance was like a vision. Yes, a vision. Please pardon my ill manners and let me introduce myself. My name's Dr. Jefferson McCarthy. I'm a research doctor for the Olympic Council. I've been enjoying both of your performances the last few days, and I can't tell you how excited I am with your abilities. With uh, A-B-I-L-I-T-Y-S. Yes. <laughs> Nastix grows tired of the doc and asks him to cut to the chase. McCarthy informs the pair that he would be interested in testing their endurance and stamina. Hey, wait, I thought this wasn't that kind of book. Sounds yeah, like yeah, it. I guess we're about to find out. <laughs> now, the doctor hands over a business card with his address in Los Angeles, California. Oh, yes, beautiful Los Angeles, just a few hundred miles south of San Francesco. No, no, you're thinking of San Diego. Oh, that's right. Beautiful city, though. Uh, Jim ain't convinced that this is the best idea. He goes, boy, that guy gave me the creeps. Can just imagine the weirdo test he'd love to perform on us. Sexpot Hilly says, don't be crazy, Jim. He said he represented the Olympic Council. Yeah, and that FBI agent I saw at the mall the other day was actually a legit female body inspector. He, he wasn't? I, mean, I thought those guys were, were credited. Uh, the lovers quarrel about Dr. Jeff's offer, and Sexpot Hilly figures the old man just wants to check her reflexes. Yeah, wink, wink. Uh, and so, the next day... Uh, Jim, that Dr. McCarthy approached me again at practice today. He seems determined to meet with us, so I promised we'd drop by this evening. You what? Hilly, I told you I wasn't interested. It was spelled interested. Interested, with no apostrophe, yeah. Uh, Sexpot Hilly gets on Jim's case about his paranoia, 
and assures them that the kooky duck just wants to give them a routine physical. <laughs> now, that, e <laughs> that evening, they arrive at the doc's creepy home. You know, uh, you're not, you don't go to someone's house for a routine physical. Is that, is that how they do it elsewhere? Is, it, is that what we call a house call, Chris? I'm not sure. <laughs> I, I don't know. There seem to be a lot of trained professionals on Craigslist. There are. There really does seem to be a lot of people giving routine physicals on Craigslist. Uh, doc McCarthy says, Thanks for your assistance in my research. The data I collect tonight will be invaluable info in helping our nation win in 1984. We'll chase those commies back to Moscow, right, Doc? <laughs> I would not speak so flippantly about our enemies, Mr. Nastics. Flippantly? Is, is that an intentional pun? I don't think so, believe it or not. Okay. <laughs> the Doc continues. The Olympics are a battleground, no matter how we try to disguise them. Would it be uh, lazy of us to make a curling joke here? <laughs> the free world counts on our nation to stand to the communist threat, no matter from what form it takes. We must always drive it back to, to the black pit it belongs. Victory must be absolute, no matter the cost. Oh, so it's not one of those kind of comics. It's one of those right. kind of comics. It's one of those Cold War comics. Mm. Uh, Jim and Sexpot Hilly follow the doc back to his home gym, I guess. Right. <laughs> Very well-appointed home, I guess. He is it is. It is. Uh, where they are run through some vigorous testing. If you ever wonder what Dr. McCarthy's O-Face looked like, well, look no further. O-Face? Uh, o for uh, Olympics. Oh, of course. Right, of course. Right. Uh, after the test, McCarthy. Oh, McCarthy. That's now right. I get it. Must be the son of a certain Joseph. Yep, McCarthy mm. shows them his secret research. The kind that isn't exactly on the level as far as the Olympic Council is concerned. Now, this is where we're introduced to that Snoopy-looking dog from the cover as he boings into McCarthy's arms. The laboratory dog has been injected with a cell-altering drug that can change the physical properties of animal tissue to that of a plant. In this case, it was a rubber plant. Wow, I wonder why the Olympic board might have a problem with that. It's all natural, right? Plant-based. What's wrong? <laughs> uh, Sexpot Hilly says, Wow, that dog jumped 10 feet high and clear across the room. That's incredible. And what's incredible are the cathedral ceilings in this dude's house that allows such a feat. Yes, Jim goes, Incredible's not the word. With some imagination, I'm sure you can both foresee what I have in mind. Yeah, Doc, connecting these dots is really going to require some hardcore imagination. He wants us to jump really high. I'm not gonna... Maybe. Uh, Jim, who has been suspicious of the entire issue so far, agrees to undergo the rubber tree metamorphosis pretty quickly. After <laughs> he's right into it. He's like, sure, why not? Uh, once he's the, it works on the dog, it works for me. You know, that's all. Uh, we Now we jump, boring, ahead to August 1984, and it's the day of the procedure. And it's, uh, if, I don't know about you, but I think it's just about time that Jim actually learns exactly what's about to happen to him. Yeah, I mean, he's been preparing apparently <laughs> all this time, so. I really don't expect you to understand the finer details of the process. After all, athletes have never been known for their intellect. Wow, I, I, I hate to see how he talks to people he doesn't need a favor from. Yeah, you poor little stupid <laughs> jerk. I'm going to... <laughs> You're too dumb to understand what it... Anyway, uh, the transformation <laughs> is controlled by introducing a unique cell to your metabolism. After a series of injections and X-ray-type treatments, the cell multiplies <laughs> YS, in a chain reaction like a rouge, I think he means rogue, uh, <laughs> cancer cell. Of course, I'm limiting that reaction to your legs. When completed, your limbs will have the properties of human rubber. 
Well, I, I, I hope gymnastics understood all of that. I probably was uh, just thinking about sports the whole time. I have a feeling. <laughs> uh, once the procedure is complete, Jim and Sexpot Hilly try out their new springy bits. I thought it wasn't that kind of. Uh, I know, just uh, <laughs> now, Hilly jumps 25 feet into the air. Something that will uh, greatly aid her in ice dancing. I mean, I, she's got to get a couple of points for that if she can pull it right. If she pull it off. Wow! I can't believe it. This is great. Hey, watch it, Smarty. You almost took my head off. Sorry, sweetheart. Ever since I was a six-year-old, I dreamed of becoming a great, great gymnast. But never did I imagine anything like this. Then why did she spend her entire life trying to be an ice dancer? She'd go for you know the second best, obviously. <laughs> Dr. McCarthy need not fear now. Those commies aren't going to stand a chance. Jim thinks to himself, but don't you realize these new synthetic abilities will make it unfair? Don't you realize, Hilly? It'll be a hollow victory. Yeah, it says the guy who just had the same procedure done. Like, you didn't think about this? It's like a little bit late to think about fairness, right? It's over now, buddy. You know, like... <laughs> You've been you, injected, buddy. You basically uh, uh, precluded yourself from the Olympics now. Good job. Finally, it's the day of the games. Sexpot Hilly scores perfect tens again and wins herself the gold medal. And the crowd goes, huh, isn't she a figure skater? Uh, I mean, maybe we're wrong. Look, I mean, the art isn't totally clear. It looked like she was ice skating. They actually said she was an ice skater, though. But what, I, maybe, maybe she changed vocations. You know, I don't know. know. We'll just, we'll just, we'll, we'll just go with uh, us being wrong. Sure. <laughs> uh, in the crowd, gymnastics conscience catches up with him. Yeah, he thinks to himself, "I can't be kidding myself any longer. I should have never let it gone this far. This is all wrong. Hillary was fantastic, but she could have done it without McCarthy's help." In fact, she was getting perfect tens. But without Before. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then Jim does the unthinkable. He yells out, stop it, stop it. The competition was unfair. Mr. Sullivan, I have something to say that'll change the scores. You have to disqualify Miss Landon. And Sullivan goes, what? What do you mean? Hill, Sexpot Hilly says, Jim. And Doc says, no, six, no. And with Jim's explanation even, Sexpot Hilly starts to broing away. Nobody's taking anything away from me. I want it and I deserve it. Jim thinks to himself, she's out of control. I have to go after her. And some dude who might be Phil Rizzuto goes, holy cow, she must have jumped 30 feet. I would I would definitely have done the same way. So, uh, <laughs> Jim gives chase and the pair bounce all around the arena with Jim finally managing to nab her. Okay, Illy, calm down. We got to talk this over. Let go. Let go of me, you traitorous pig. You jealous jerk. You would have never had one like I did. I was always better than you. You don't care about fairness. You just hated to see me win. Projection, thy name is Sexpot Hilly. Uh, now, Jim assures her assures her that this isn't the case. But uh, not, not only that, he, only, he also reveals that he, in fact, loves her. Mm. Mm. Back at the stage, Dr. McCarthy is... <laughs> Being arrested? Wow, that was quick. <laughs> I guess gymnastics just has a face that you trust, right? What did the commies pay you to switch sides, Nestics? Was it worth it? He's right, Jim. If you really loved me, you would have never turned on me. Just remember, Jim, I won it all and you lost it all, including me. I'm the winner and you'll always be the loser. And the police cuff her. Why do they, they cuff her? Anyway, I don't know. Uh, I'll be back, Jim, and you'll pay for this. You'll pay for this. Back at the office of Gymnastics Private Investigator. What's that now? Yeah. 
<laughs> you remember this? This was a story that he was telling his new secretary. Oh, God, that was this book? <laughs> right? Oh, my God, I totally forgot about that. <laughs> oh, all right, Ellie says, Geez, what a sad story. And then a phone rings. Let me answer that. There's no better time for me to start. On the line is a person who introduced themselves as Phil. And this troubles gymnastics and causes him to broing out the nearest window. Hey, where were you going? You could at least use chat. Could at least use the door. To be continued in chapter two. Oof. That was a long one, Chris. That was crazy. <laughs> yep. what, a, what a weird, crazy story. So let's head right into this week's hook. No, no, wait, wait, wait. Nope. Uh, chapter two is right here. No, 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 no. We were fooled once before by Youngblood. I'm not, I'm not doing that again. That's in episode 22 in the archives, by the way. Anyway, this isn't a flip book. It's got a wraparound cover. I already checked. It's, uh, it's just, done. just turn, turn the page. Right. Uh, I see like a few gymnastics pinups, probably just taking the place of a letters column. One more pitch. Oh, hell. <laughs> Welcome to chapter two titled. Phil! <laughs> Two exclamation points. <laughs> Comes with the tagline. <laughs> it comes with the tagline An Olympic gymnast transformed by a renegade scientist mad experiment and shattered forever by scandal. His name is Gymnastics. <laughs> I guess we probably could have summed up the first half of the book with that. I mean, did they think this was not going to, like, you know, like... <laughs> These weren't going to be in the same book. Exactly. This must have been planned for the same book. Like, oh, God, we've got to brush him up on this. <laughs> uh, our hero bounces across the city while lost in thought. Boy, I could kick myself for not taking Phil's concern more seriously. Okay, okay. Who's Phil? I don't know, but we'll get there. He continues to think. After all, it's come down the last few months. After what happened to Hilly, I can't fail anyone ever again. Uh, you didn't fail her, you ratted her out. That was on right? purpose. Yeah, that wasn't a, an accident. Yeah, you didn't mistake that. <laughs> uh, he, he's still thinking. Especially Phil. If she's in some kind of trouble, and I'm too late, I don't know what I'll do. So Phil's a woman, then, we can assume. Oh, you didn't know? Mm. <laughs> now, Jim bounces to the top of a nearby building. On a street below is a, bl a blind man sells comics. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, a poster on the wall advertises Phyllis Myers coming soon in triplicate. A girl and her copying machine rated R. You think that might be Phil? I hope so. Yeah. Now, Jim thinks back to his being questioned by some men in dark suits. Yeah, he's got like flashback narcolepsy, right? He's he used to come over it, him right? all the time, yeah. He thinks he's, he, in his flashback, Jim goes, look, fellas, I told you all I know about McCarthy. Now, I haven't done anything exactly illegal, so. Wait, exactly illegal? What the hell does that mean? <laughs> He's, he's on a he's on a slippery slope. He's, yeah. he's on a curve. Uh, like one of the guys goes, "Don't think we wouldn't love to nail your butt, Nastics." I didn't know it was that type of part. I'm sorry. Let's stop doing it. <laughs> I'd love to see you making house at the base with your pals. Uh, what? I got nothing for that one. <laughs> Unfortunately, this is America, where you can run someone in for, like you for being a misguided slime. Now, if, if you don't start singing about McCarthy's experiment there a lot, a lot, we can, we can try to pin on you. Trying to obstruct justice, plotting for conspiracy, shall I continue? If I'm gymnastics, then yes. By all means, please continue. 
else? What else is there? Uh, Jim goes, okay, okay. But why not just talk to McCarthy? It's like we told you, pea brain. McCarthy hasn't peeped a word since we took him in, and your heart throb with one T, he'll in. And she's got all the symptoms of acute paranoia. Her doctors aren't even sure if your wonderful experiment caused this or not. I'd think you'd want to help your buddies. It's like I said, I've told you everything. What do you want out of me, blood? <laughs> that's, that's be good for starters. <laughs> he says, what do you want out of me, blood, with two exclamation points. <laughs> but uh, where would we go from there after that, for starters? Like, your blood yeah. and then limbs? Is that how it goes? Yeah, we take an, we take an eyeballs, exactly. fingers, I mean, toes. Blood should be towards the end, I would think, of the cycle. <laughs> uh, not at the, not at this, the beginning, but uh, back in the now, Jim arrives at Phil's door. And yes, this is Phyllis Myers from that triplicate movie. A helpful caption reads, Phil, a.k.a. Phyllis Myers. Before the Olympic scandal, she had been Hilly Landon's best friend and fellow gymnast star. After Hilly's disqualification, Phil took her place in leading the women's events for the U.S. Only Phil knows that she'd like to take Hilly's place in other areas as well. Mm. Wait a second, those guys in suits are here too. I thought we were in a flashback. Are we? I may, maybe not. Uh, I don't know. Phil says, Jim, I've been trying to get a hold of you for days. I'm so sorry about Hilly. Yeah, right. She's going to be all right, isn't she? I'm sure she will, Phil. The doctors are just keeping an eye on her till she gets well. Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. How about you, Jim? Is there anything I can do to help you out? I'd really like to lend a hand somehow if I can. And Jim has an idea. Well, um, there is one little thing you can do. Oh, off, off. And in bounces that Snoopy-looking dog from earlier, all 44 pounds of him, now named Alf Alf, I guess, okay? Yeah. Uh, makes me feel like I'm watching Muzzy try to teach me French here, you know. Je suis la vie. They could be German, though, because his full name is Alf Alf Fiedersen. Oh, that, that makes yeah. a lot more sense. <laughs> now, he has Phil to keep an eye on the pupper, and uh, and the suited men look on with glee. I mean, they got broad smiles at this point. Didn't they, like, want to kill him five minutes ago, though? I could have swore they were threatening I, him with an inch of his right? life. <laughs> I thought so, right? Uh, then, then we go back to the present? Wait, I, I thought we were in the present. What's going so, on? So did I. <laughs> what, where are we? Help. Uh, Jim is standing atop a building across the street from Fraglewood Studios, worrying about how he's going to get past the security guard. And so he leaps, landing right in front of the guard before leaping again. I mean, like, he could have landed anywhere else, right? He, right. But he had to, like, put it right in his face. It's it's kind of a moot point. This guard ain't exactly the sharpest bulb in the shed. Yeah, he says, hot dog, these new special effects are something. You know, I'm always taken aback by the special effects I see in my everyday life. Yeah, me too, but I I have to say I am a heavy user of angel dust, so that might be the reason. (laughs) Wow, I mean, really. Uh, Anyway, Jim keeps bouncing and is still lost in thought. I don't know if I'm ready to care for another woman yet. Uh, who am I trying to kid? Look at me now, fretting and worrying over her. I already care. All right, I think we're heading back into flashback land now. 
I think so too, but please, folks, don't quote us. Yeah, it might be double flashbacks. I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, he thinks back to the last time he spoke to Phil. She mentioned that strange men had been following her and that they're really starting to freak her out. Back in the present, we think, Jim boings off the building and crashes right through the window to Phil's dressing room, apartment, maybe? Room that she's in? Uh, are we even still at the studio, the movie studio? Were we ever at the studio? Was that now or then? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> Inside the room containing <laughs> Phil, uh, Jim finds Phil both KO'd and gigantic. This is a bad perspective. <laughs> God, I gotta assume. But it does look like he's, he, she's turned into a massive uh, woman. Uh, she must have had some of McCarthy's test on her, we, we would think at first, but uh, yeah, she was injected with the pollen of the poor perspective plant, obviously, that's all. Yes, and Jim goes, Phil, Phil, are you okay? What happened? Oh, Jim, thank God you're here. You hurt yourself, though, here, let me. It's nothing but a scratch. It's you I'm worried about. Are you all right? I'm fine, honest. It was those men I told you about, Jim. They came crashing in here and threatened me in a foreign language. They grabbed poor little Alf Alf and clocked me when I tried to stop them. I just managed to call you before I must have blacked out. Jim takes her into his arms, thankful that she wasn't harmed worse. Phil informs him that the only word she was able to make out from these men was airport. Ah, uh, yes, the international word that requires no <laughs> translation from the language of foreign. Right? <laughs> and it turns out she was right. Because at that very moment, a trio of suited men who have beards, so they're clearly not the ones from earlier. Are you sure about that? No, I'm not. Okay. Uh, <laughs> anyhow, they have Alf Alf who bites them just before bouncing out of their car window. And at that very moment, Sexpot Hilly is being attended to by a nurse at the government hospital. Yes, the nurse goes, Lunchtime, Miss Landon. You've been such a good girl lately. I'm going to loosen your restraints a bit so you can eat. Why, thank you, Nurse Nightingale. That soup sure does smell yummy. And then with her free hands, Sexpot Hilly smashes the nurse's head into the steaming hot bowl. Oh, she <laughs> says, Maybe you'd like to enjoy it yourself. <laughs> Nightingale calls for the guards while Sexpot Hilly bebops and bounces her way to freedom. You'd think there'd be guards at all the entrances. You'd think. But uh, the caption reads, <laughs> By the time the cry for help is past Nurse Nightingale's lips, Hilly Landon has bounced out of the infirmary. You gotta, <laughs> you gotta just read it to believe it. And over the detention center walls. In other words, she is long gone. Back at the airport, those suited, bearded gentlemen chase down poor Alf Alf. Just then, Jim and Phil arrive. Jim lands on one of the men with a whoomp, causing oh hell, causing his beard to come off. These are the same guys from earlier. Ah. What's going on? <laughs> uh, the other two grab Alf Alf and immediately jump into a plane and take off. Planes can do that? You just, like, turn a key and you're in the air? Yeah, you just gotta pop it's it. It's like a VTOL or something? Pop it into drive and, uh, yeah, hit the gas. I mean, it's not really scientific. Uh, Jim sees them attempt to flee, and he makes a leap for it. Yes, while thinking, I have to stop those guys. I can't let Alpha Alpha's safety and the secret of our powers fall into enemy hands. Secret? Uh, he turned it into a federal case during the Olympics. Right? Like, who doesn't know that they can do this? 
<laughs> Jim jumps mighty high, but is just short of reaching the plane. Yep, and one of the bearded guys says, Arrivederci, Nastics! <laughs> Jim thinks, damn, my one chance and I blew it. They're getting away. Jim lands and notices the phony beard on the ground. He puts two and two together, thankfully explaining it all out loud. Otherwise... We really couldn't be sure what was happening here at all. <laughs> Jim says, hey, bud, I think you lost part of your Inspector Clouseau disguise. And then looking closer. You, you're no foreign spy. You're one of those nosy federal investigators that was quizzing me on McCarthy. Well, he finally put two and two together. <laughs> now, the spy refuses to talk and even feigns as though he doesn't know English. By this point, Jim has had quite enough. Yeah, tell us about it. I know the feeling. <laughs> um... He grabs the spy and leaps skyward, demanding that he speak. Who are you working for? All right, all right. We were sent by General Bulldozier. We had orders to swipe the pooch and haul him back to D.C., but that's all I know, I swear. Now please, Nastix, put me down. Later, we shift forward to the offices of Gymnastics, private investigator. Oh, right, right, right. Yes, Ellie Font books plane tickets for her boss and his lady friend while our hero downs a martini. She hands them the new, Jim the newspaper. The headline reads, <laughs> Olympic fraud escapes with two exclamation points because all newspapers write their headlines that way, right? Right. It's at a fifth grade level, right? Isn't <laughs> exactly, <it>? yeah. <laughs> Jim sees the headline and goes, Oh, no. Why, Hilly? She's more dangerous and mixed up than I thought. All the authorities are going to be on the lookout for her. All the authorities? All of them, every wow. last one. Even my uh, junior high school principal. Wow, look out. The, the, yes, the uh, hall monitor. And <laughs> Everybody. The forest park ranges. They're all of us. Uh, Jim says, if only I could reason with her. Make her distorted mind understand before it's too late. Our issue ends with Sexbot Illy lurking outside the offices of Gymnastics Private Investigator. Where she overhears Phil's voice. Yes, Sexbot Hilly thinks to herself, Why that two-timing little tramp? Two-timing? And who exactly is she cheating on? Yeah, I think, I think you and Jim are broken up. You know what I'm talking about? I thought, yeah. She continues, Not only has she stolen my glory, now she's after my ex-lover. No harm, no foul, right? I came to smooth things over with Jimsy, but now that I've seen the true picture, I'd hate to barge it on our little lovebirds. And so, she leaves. And continues to think, now, now, Hilly dear, mustn't get too angry. Anchor blocks the mind, and revenge should be carefully prepared. Just like a fine recipe, revenge should be simmered and savored. I always thought revenge was a dish best served cold. Yeah, well, you you, you got to simmer it and then chill it. It's like a gazpacho. <laughs> like a gazpacho. Exactly. Yeah. It. Uh, it's time we started evening the score, Mr. Gymnastics. Dun, dun, dun. And that is truly it for mm -hmm. gymnastics number one. Chris, I got to say, you really found a, a true crap book this time. Wow. You know, it's 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 like wildly bad, but I love that it exists. It's a, I mean, <laughs> what we, we were talking about it, I was like, all I could keep thinking to myself reading it is human hands made this. You know what I mean? This this isn't this isn't the outgrowth like like the the off you know the the runoff of something else. This was something people thought, and we read the story. They developed yep. the character. They came up with it, and 
the drawing. Uh, for if one only of those damn turtles didn't upstage him. Oh, if only, yeah. <laughs> but, but I mean, the drawing is bad as it is. It still takes time, right? Effort. Sure. You can't just like throw. Anyway, the, that fact blows my mind. I just have to ask you, Chris, when you are digging through the bins, what is it about a gymnastics or some of these other comics we'll talk about that speaks to you more? Because, I mean, you must see garbage oh, comics hundreds, like you yeah. can believe, but there's definitely a difference between one that's going to be funny and one that's going to be not so funny. What, what is it about it that'll really speak to you? You know, I, don't, I think it was just the, the cover. I mean, the cover we're going to definitely post. We might yeah. post some pages of the books, you know, throughout, but uh, the cover, you got to see it to believe it. I mean, it's it's Jim there with his volleyball chest or volleyball abs and mm. Like the crowd behind him looks like it looks like a recycling center. It looks like just like crumpled bottle. It really does. It really does. <laughs> it's just so wild, and and it just it, it's 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 trapper keeper comics. It's like the kind of stuff I would have done in junior high school. Yeah, definitely. Uh, like even the pacing, the dialogue, the exclamation marks. It, I mean, it blew my mind to to find out that these guys <laughs> did comics in '75. Yes. Right. The guy. Like, that means he. Like, because you told me that they, these were a couple of ten-year-olds. I'd be like, well, that's cute. <laughs> but it's not. We're talking about a full-grown adult, my friend. Wow. That is really something else. We had a good time with it. Uh, yeah. Oh, I best. think we got to put some, a couple of pages up there. They got to see what this yeah, looks they like. Yeah. They got to see it's, it. It's like eighty percent of the, uh, you know, eye rubbing is because of that. <laughs> but anyway. <laughs> Now, for our hook this week, we uh, decided to uh, to extend the question outward, and uh, we want folks to tell us their weirdest quarter box finds or weirdest cheapo bin finds, because we don't uh, we don't discriminate on uh, on monetary amounts. So right. I mean, it could be I don't know what to, uh, it could be like fifty p somewhere else. And or... Let me tell you, in New York, a five dollar goes about as far as a quarter does. Uh, rest of the country. There you go. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, we figured we'd start with our own. And uh, my weirdest finds, besides gymnastics, of course, there's one book called Kill Image. It's by a fellow by the name of Hart Fisher for Boneyard Press. And uh, it's exactly what you think it is. Yeah. Uh, if it helps you any, the follow-up was called Kill Marvel. So yeah, uh, that explains where this guy's head was at. Uh, yes. And I've actually still, I'm still on the lookout for this book. We want to do it for the show, but this is a tough yeah. nut to find. Uh, Yes, and it's uh, one that will require a large amount of cleaning up. That's right, in the, in the, the style of the pro, right? I've kind of... It's it's even it's it's even more whacked out than that. It's just uh, this guy brutally <laughs> murders Rob Liefeld, Todd McFarlane. It's it's bad. It's it's bad stuff, but it's a uh, it's definitely worth a ride on the treadmill. I think. Uh, also, whacked the Tanya Harding story. Which is uh, pretty self-explanatory, and I feel very dirty for just having bought it. Um, it was one of those things that I was driving home, and it was like on the top of my stack in the passenger seat, and I'm like, oh, God, why, why did I do that? Why did I do that? You know, That's going to be in my house. But now you know the real story, <laughs> and that's what's important. I do, I do. <laughs> they, always have, they always have her like smoking a cigar in it, too. It's great. Yeah. Uh, it's also The Uncensored Mouse. This came out from Eternity Comics in 1989, and in it, it reprinted Mickey Mouse comic strips from the 30s without Disney permission. Wow. Which, uh, probably not a smart thing to do. Uh, this led to the book being shipped with a blank black cover and no mention of Mickey in the title. It's just The Uncensored Mouse. Weird. What? Yes. Now, in the same bin that I found gymnastics in, I found a book called The Young Lawyers. 
It's an adaptation of a short-lived Zalman King starring television program of the same name, and it's uh, it's pretty bad. Oh, you ever heard of the show? I didn't either until I saw I heard the comic first, and then I yeah. uh, Googled it. Definitely haven't <laughs> heard of the comic. I'll tell you that. Uh, as for myself, I'm not. You know, uh, Chris is a regular digger in the bins. I am not <laughs> as much of a digger. I definitely actually try to limit the number of single issues that I have, but. Uh, two that came to mind. One of them was a true going to the comic story. Remember, the story was Silver Age Comics in Astoria, uh, Queens, New York City. Um, I dug up about uh, four to six copies of Plop in not terrible condition. That's the DC Comics Plop that was uh, helmed by Ari- Sergio Aragones. Uh, this was like a, you know, they actually meant that to be a horror anthology. Really? Originally, it would, that was supposed to be their like answer to Marvel's Tomb of Dracula. Okay. Uh, but over time, obviously, became more of a comedy kind of a like. Gag. Yeah. But if you look, if you look, if you read it, you see it's often gags about horror themes. Sure. So that's uh, where they thought it was. I think they thought it'd be like the new EC. And uh, the other, the other, the big find that I got that wasn't really worth anything. But these are comics that I still have. Uh, we helped a when I was younger. I helped a, a friend of my father's. He was moving cross country, and he had. A ridiculous number of comics, and he wanted uh, paid my brother and myself and a friend of ours like actually paid us nothing at all to help him <laughs> help him box up the comics, get him into a shape where he could ship them. There was, there was some paper exchange, well, exactly. So the, <laughs> the, the payment was, and I'll say what we all got. My brother, who is is four years older than me, he was probably thirteen, fourteen at the time. He got uh, some vintage Playboys from the early '80s, which <laughs> to a fourteen-year-old might as well have been, you know, several hundred thousand Gold. dollars. Yeah, <laughs> uh, my friend, my friend uh, took an entire box. I don't even know how this guy had it, but of uh, Vigilante number one from the '80s, <laughs> which I bet is still in his parents' attic right now, oh, probably boy. half eaten by uh, raccoons and squirrels, but. Never did turn that in for the college, uh, you know, uh, tuition he thought he would get. Uh, but I took from it a stack of really bad horror comics from the 60s and 70s. Most of them DC, The Witching Hour, Ghosts, uh, you know, House of Mystery. There were a couple of Marvels in there. I remember, like, Chamber of Horrors was in there and one Where Monsters Dwell. And these are comics that, folks, I... I I don't think I've read anything more than I've read these comics over and over and over as a kid. I remember going through the stuff. I mean, now they sit in a box in my closet, practically in untouchable condition. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> yep. the cover, the, 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 the covers are long uh, off them. If they, you know, uh, some of them are kind of floating on them and whatever the staples are gone, whatever they are in bad shape, but I love them. And I think that they really form my, not just my comics, fan because i am a big fan of horror comics but uh my sense of i don't know the world my sense of entertainment, entertainment so yeah they were meaningful to me and they are worth and were worth actually i bet those plop are worth not a lot but, but a little but like you know three times the cover price so that's sure. <laughs> uh a couple other people uh we sent in their picks we got david schultz aka lava at lava hog uh, on twitter he's a co-host of parlapod podcast and writer at two staple gold on the gww.com these links will be in the show notes dave's in the middle of a big move this week wasn't able to play but you still check out his stuff <laughs> Yes, if he uh, if he can when he settles in and wants to play, we'll uh, we'll put his uh, sure. his funds up on the website. I, I, lo- I we always love those kind of stories. So. 
Yes, and then he's a great supporter of the show, great friend of the show. Uh, next guy we got, Mike Carlisle at Son of Cthulhu of the Crap Box of Son of Cthulhu. And again, link in the show notes. We're going to be saying that a lot. Yeah. Uh, now, most of Mike's blog is based around his strange finds in the bins. And one that stood out to us, and this is how I act, one of the ones that I found him by was uh, Rabid Rachel. Which he which he describes as without a doubt the worst comic that he's ever read. Wow! This, like gymnastics, is a book that needs to be seen in order to be believed. And uh, we will put a direct link to the, to this uh, post in the show notes because he he did go on at length and it is pretty wild. Yeah, and this is a guy working from a crap box too. So when he yes, says it's his the worst comic, <laughs> it's gonna be bad. Another one from the crap box is. This what I gotta see. Shalom Man is a uh, Jewish, duh, superhero created by Al Weisner, also known as the Kosher Crusader. The Kosher Crusader. Unbelievable. I know. It's like, uh, wow. It has, wow. A, it, has, it has a wiki page, okay. and from that wiki, Shalom Man is normally an inanimate rock until someone cries out the words of help. Oy vey. Oh These God. words transform the rock into a muscular, curly-haired man known as Shalom Man. It looks insane, and perhaps the most insane part is this thing actually had a lot of issues. I mean, it's, I mean, it, it actually, <laughs> from the sounds of it, it's it's a heroic Jewish character, but it also sounds like it might have been done by an anti like yeah, like a parody. <laughs> What is going on here? Oy vey. It's like, oy vey. Oh, he's a rock half the, What is that? What is going on? Uh, yeah, that sounds unbelievable. Like, I, I might need to start digging soon for that one. Yes. Uh, we also heard from Chris. Not, I'm not sure of his last name, Chris. So yeah, I'm just gonna say He's the one for, uh, at BTO and Bat Books. He does the Bat Books for Beginners podcast with uh, Jerry Prof Frenzy mm-hmm. on Twitter. Uh, from the BatmanUniverse.net's Bat Books from Beginners and Batgirl to Oracle podcasts. His finds were The New People by Dell Comics. This is an adaptation of a short lived ABC drama series. Ran 17 episodes from 1969 to 1970. It actually sounds kind of interesting. It's about a group of people attempting to rebuild society after being stranded on an island used for nuclear testing. Mm. Could be something. Gold Key Spotlight, Tom, Dick, and Harriet. Written by Mark Evanier with art by Dennis the Menace ghost artist Lee Holly. This is a teeny bopper book. Uh, Fast Willie Jackson, number five. He's Black Archie. <laughs> and it looks hilarious. Uh, gotta, gotta see what's up with Black Archie. Yes. Uh, it's like the converse, you know, it's like a photo negative Archie. Um, <laughs> the, the cover to issue five has Fast Willie asking a cop if he could dig it. To which the officer replies, yeah, I can dig it. Yep. All right. You slap me some skin. And Hands of the Dragon by Atlas Comics. This is part of the kung fu craze of the mid-1970s. And there are, like, a bunch of forgotten comics from that era, right? Like, oh, magazines. Yeah. Like, when you really get looking at old periodicals, you'd see that uh, some point, it's like kung fu. And then at some point, it goes to, like, uh, custom vans. <laughs> yeah. Like suddenly the, the tide has changed And now the, the kung fu is out <laughs> We got some from uh, Jeremiah Jones Goldstein He's at Big Ox 737 on Twitter um, I didn't put his uh, He also has a blog And we will put the link to that in the show That's notes right. as well That's right 
Yes, he, uh, he he found Mantech Robot Warriors, part of Archie Adventure series. This is based on a 1984 toy line from Remco, uh, perhaps, probably, definitely inspired by the Transformers. No, this is Mantech. Oh. Man-made, anyway. <laughs> I, I was looking through ads for the actual action figures, and they are advertised as infinitely interchangeable and infinitely poseable. Wow. And uh, we'll, we'll just take that word for it. <laughs> I don't want to count. Uh, another one that he found was Mickey and Goofy Explore the Universe of Energy. This is a giveaway comic from the Universe of Energy Pavilion at Epcot Center from the mid-1980s, in which Mickey and Goofy, well, they explore the universe of energy. Believe it or not, I think I've seen this comic. I wouldn't doubt it. I really think I've seen it, and, the, and it's like, you know, it, it looks like a cartoon, but, you know, the still... The still sells from it, you know what it I mean? Looks, it big. looks kind of che- it looks kind of cheesy on the inside, a, yeah. A little bit, uh, a little bit uh, cheese ball, but I guess there's no there's no other way you can do it really when it's mixed yeah. goofy telling you about energy. Uh, Ryan, who is at Cinecrisis of the Cinecrisis YouTube channel, he uh, remembered getting Archie and the History of Electronics. That was a Radio Shack freebie. I think I've seen that one too. Yeah, and, those uh, Radio Shack freebies were pretty prolific. They really I were. Mean, you had like, and then you had like the Tandy Whiz Kids and That's like right. Superman meets the Whiz Kids. There was a, a whole like cottage industry there was also of these Radio the, Shack uh, freebies. And also the Spire Archie comics. You see those a lot, the Christian ones. Oh, yeah, the Christian ones. Yep. Like the, the drawing is just off, you know? Yeah, like they, you they, know they should come with right. mustaches or you something. Know that, yeah, you know that DiCarlo was not there, yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, The Life of Pope John Paul II, number one by Marvel Comics. Comics, which, frankly, might even belong in our next section of the hook, right, Chris? Yes, it that was well pretty could well be. known. Uh, <laughs> this is what we call cheapo bin gold—the good mm-hmm. stuff that might actually be worth. Well, you know, it, this is an interesting thing because we talked about this before. That uh, this isn't necessarily ones that are worth money. Not exactly. Right. Yeah. It's ones that are worth. They're important to the person that found them. But I think that these are ones that you would consider more traditional. Fines, yeah, I guess. Fines. <laughs> yeah, the these aren't it. gymnastics. Yeah. Exactly. They're not. Except they're not... now, gymnastics should be on everybody's gold list. I, I bet. I bet now that this episode <laughs> comes out, that's going to shoot up. Right? The speculation will go wild. <laughs> they're they're going to sell on eBay for two dollars. I'm, I'm turning gymnastics <laughs> issues over and over. Uh, yeah. When I was first looking for this, I was like, let me look on eBay. And like they pretty much were a buck each, but they were yep. shipping for like four bucks. I was like, oh, that doesn't work. Can I just drive for it? I know, really something. You know, I'll, I'll meet you on the street. Uh, so I'm just gonna talk about one again. Like I did not get a, I did not do a lot of digging even as a young kid. I would uh, bought my comics from the rack, or you know, I've always been uh, trying to reduce as much clutter as I can. But a, a huge windfall that happened when I was about, gosh, I'm gonna say nine or ten. Uh, I met Ernie Colon, the famous penciler who at one time drew uh, Richie Rich and also drew tons of different things for uh, DC, none of which are coming to mind, but, you know, he, he was around. Uh, he gave me a stack of the DC Blue Ribbon, Di- Blue Ribbon Digests. Uh, and this is, if people don't know what, what these are, these were little um, tablets. like the Archie Digest. Exactly like the Archie Digest, but they're DC Comics. Marvel tried that, too, for a very brief time. And then even tried black and white ones, and they kind of abandoned it. But DC hung in there for a while, <clears throat> and they've got—I mean, they've got some pretty crazy collections. That's pretty much the only place I know you can get a collection of Warlord. Uh, okay. The only place you can get collected edition—you know—a collected version of Jimmy Olsen, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen, mm-hmm. and and that's where 
you know, on the show, when I'm talking about, you know, how much I love Silver Age comics and whatever, that's where I found, that's where I first saw them, you know what I mean? There was no other way for me to see them. But, sure. But when yeah. I got these old things about Superman, different, you know, the, the uh, red the kryptonite, kryptonite stories yep. and stuff, and like I was just like, wow, this is where I want to be, you know, learning about uh, Prody, the uh, super protoplasm <laughs> and the Legion of Superheroes stories. Legion, yep. So it's, uh, yeah, th- that was huge for me as a kid. And I only mentioned that because... I actually don't have all of them anymore, but they go for quite a uh, some bit of, them of money, do, huh? some of them, which is really, it doesn't make any sense because they are inferior additions to the comics. They're like and, much and they're smaller. they're not exactly much rare either. They're not that rare. No, if you, if, yeah. you go to the, if you go to most comic stores, they probably got a bunch of them collecting dust in the back. So yep. <laughs> I never really understand. Maybe some of them are rare. They were have low print runs or whatever. But uh, yeah, if I if only had hung on to those, I might have had the tidy sum of $300, Chris. So how about that? (laughs) (laughs) Now, uh, I am much more prolific in my searches. Uh, Anyone who follows me on Twitter knows that I, my second home is these boxes and I am always digging and digging and digging. And uh, I've got, uh, I found a lot of valuable books, so I'm just going to list a few here. Uh, I found Uncanny X-Men number 266 for 10 cents. Wow. Uh, This was uh, about five or six years ago. This is the first appearance of Gambit. I bought it in half at a half price books over Fourth of July weekend, during which it was a twenty percent off sale. So I actually got this comic for eight cents. Oh, before tax. Oh, so it was like it came back to ten basically. It came back to ten. <laughs> uh, now, Days of Future Past. That's a uh, X Men uh, one forty one, one forty two, or one forty and one forty one. One of those. Uh, I got those for a dollar each. Also at that very same half price books. And uh, that same day, they have their dollar bin and they have their quarter bin. And uh, in the quarter bin, I found an issue of Sandman. I think I told the story on either, maybe it was on the Weird Science Show, but uh, it was uh, the issue of Sandman, the Neil, Ga- Neil Gaiman Sam- Sandman, where they bring back the uh, like Brute and Glob and the Silver Scarab is oh, now yeah. the, the Bronze Age Sandman. And uh, I found that and... And I find these two uh, X-Men books and for a dollar, and I'm freaking out. And, um, you know, I'm telling the wife, and she doesn't care. Right. <laughs> She's like, just go pay. That's and nice. I'm like, I, and I'm like, I, I, I'm like they're going to know. They're going to know. And I get up there, and I, I give the guy the, the stack, and he looks, and he uh, he's flipping through, and he's like, I can't believe we did this. And I'm like, oh, crap. And he's like, I can't believe we put Sandman in the quarter bin. Wow. Oh, God. I'm like, yeah, how about that? So I paid my, you know, two or three bucks there and and got out with with Days of Future Past. And uh, heck of a find. Those Sandman books are worth, uh, from the the, the single issues, are they worth a lot of money? I wouldn't think so. You know, I've never paid more than than a dollar for an issue of that. uh, And I only need two. So uh, right. I've I've been able to find all of them in the. I mean, in the I, mean I feel like those comics sold fairly robustly, sure. right, in their time, and they've had so many trade collections. I'm sure people have people unloaded, upgraded, yeah. uh, several times and un- unloaded their singles. But uh, anyway, keep going. Yeah. Also, Avengers Annual Number Ten. I found that for a dollar. That is the first appearance of Rogue. Wow. Um, yes. And then a couple of recent finds here: Superman, The Man of Steel, Number Seventeen for a dollar, and that's the first appearance of Doomsday's Fist. Now that's pretty. Uh, that's pretty big because I know that one is worth a couple, a few more bucks. Like than twenty that, bucks. Know? Twenty yeah, bucks is usually what I see it for. It's not. It's not that crazy, but and and it is sort of a ripoff because again, you just see just the fist, just the fist. <laughs> you know what I mean? But but this is what. 
drives the price of comics. So that's an yeah, awesome absolutely. find. Wow. Yeah, and it was a it was a wizard thing where, uh, like, they would for one month they would say that Man of Steel 18 was the first appearance of Doomsday to bring that price up, and then the next month they would be right. no oh, wait, it's actually Man of Steel 17. This one. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then sometimes it was Panic in the Sky, but who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, another recent one, actually the same day as Man of Steel 17, I found John Burns Next Men number 21 for a dollar. Wow. And uh, that might not sound like anything, but that is the first full-color appearance of Hellboy. Yeah, that's another, like, 15 to $20, even $25. I think I've seen that online. Sure. When we did our <laughs> research for, uh, it had to be John Byrne, I would guess. So I remember thinking, yeah. again, not like There's that. one issue of this that's valuable. <laughs> exactly. That was basically it, because it has Hellboy in it. But, uh, yeah, not going to make you rich, but that is... Considering it's, it's the cover price, for a buck. Yeah. always consider the cover price when you consider what what you can get back for it. But uh, certainly, Alex Martin, who is at a Martino guy, uh, this fellow, he makes all the cover images for the Weird Science DC Comics dot com podcast, and he found the Authority One by Warren Ellis bagged and boarded mm-hmm. in a bin. So nice find. Yeah, and actually, I I actually just found that one uh, like two weeks ago. Nice. So, it's funny that was uh, it, funny was it bagged that. and boarded? Maybe he sold it back. <laughs> uh, no, our friend Luke Hollywood and LJ Hollywood from Leak Slip, Like Slip? No, it's Leak Slip. You got it. Leak Slip. I had it right the first time. I, I should never doubt myself. He's from Leak Slip, Ireland. He found, and, and he's a big fan of Kyle Rayner, he found Green Lantern number 48, which is part one of Emerald Twilight, and the first appearance of his main man, Kyle Rayner. He found it hidden in a pile of new 52 Green Lantern back issues. In the corner of a shop, he grabbed it and some random issues also of John's, Jeff Johns' pre-New 52 run. And the guy uh, still charged what he charged my four quid for the first appearance and six quid for the random one. So he was very, very pleased he with his find. He was still very happy. Yeah, he's, he actually became a Kyle Rayner fan from a, the recent trade collection. You know that really? Yeah, uh, they just came out with. I think they might be in volume two now. I don't remember, but uh, okay, they had they had Kyle Rayner Green Lantern volume one, and he loves it. And awesome, here he is enjoying himself, finding a Kyle and getting Connors. the first appearance. Yeah, that's that's terrific. Uh, Dallas Gibson, who is at Redgrass State, is a Cardinals fan and resident of St. Louis, Missouri. He found Fear Agent Ashcan and first appearance of Taskmaster of. Uh, in Avengers number 196, he was the happiest lad in the land that day. Those ash cans, those things are sometimes hard to they actually really hard. Say sometimes they're usually hard to find. Yeah. Uh, like those either come as a pack in or they used to come as a pack in, but nowadays we don't have wizards. So right. they're just things that uh, that go out and. Well, there's I also ash they... cans that were made for conventions, you know, back yep. in the early yeah, 90s. Special, and 80s. Yep. Really, they're really tough. And I think a lot of. A lot of comic stores don't want to deal with them because they got to like shelf just them clutter. differently. Yeah. They're just they're just not that same height and size as other comics. Yeah, so. and a lot of them don't have a price point on them either, so they're right. just there. So it's uh, that that's a hell of a find. Yeah, um, we're gonna go over to Christopher Hayden. He's at Hayden C number. I'm sorry, Hayden C eighty nine. He's a fellow from Kentucky who likes comics. Right. He found a first print of Batman Incorporated Volume Two Number Eight. Now this is the death of Damian Wayne. He found that for a dollar, which. Uh, that that's got one of the most striking covers that I've seen since yeah. the new Fifty Two started. It's it's a very nice cover and not a book you'd expect to see in the dollar bin. Damien Damien's uh, death was the first moment of the new Fifty Two, so it is gotta be. It's, yeah, uh, gotta really be. weird. 
And later, uh, he says, last summer, my LCS had a huge sale where they marked down their dollar bins to 50 cent bins. And those are the best days ever. <laughs> uh, now, they had over 30 long boxes stuffed to full of books. In no particular order, that summer, he was able to grab the first volume of Rye in trade form with a character data sheet issue bundled into the still unopened plastic wrap. That's always cool when you can find those old Valiants with the bags. I, right. I've got the uh, Harbinger bagged. Uh, still, still bagged? Or have you slipped still bagged, yeah. I don't open bags. I, have, I don't even open bags on the Wizard magazine. I don't even open bags around the house. <laughs> he also found the last 15 or so issues of Scott Snyder's Batman. And that's something you and I have been talking about off the air a lot. The uh, Snyder Batman, the uh, new 52 Batman. Yeah. For some reason, those prices are ridiculous. Yeah. And it, it, I don't understand why they... And they're not rare. They're, they've got tons of variants. They're out in the world. That, that, but, that's uh, the strange thing. I mean, here we're talking about the consistently, you know, biggest seller for DC during the New 52, always selling sure. uh, over 100,000. I don't think it ever dipped below that during Snyder and Capullo's run. It's it got close huge. to it. Yeah. But it was always uh, 100,000, and at times up at 120 when something happened. So, uh, but I don't understand. They are, they are upgrades. And you said all the number ones. Or, yeah, I looked it up. They're like three hundred bucks, and I'm like, That's sure, something is very strange there, folks. Yeah. But uh, I actually saw the cheapest Batman number one from the New Fifty Two last weekend. It was fifty dollars. So that was the cheapest one I've seen yet. That is very strange. Isn't it wild? Uh, he also found the full Batman Legends of the Dark Knight Halloween special. That's awesome. That was a uh, that was the uh, Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale thing. Yeah, I believe that was like their first uh, thing. Their first collaboration. Yeah, well, oh, the for first Batman, Batman, for Batman collaboration because yeah. they did challengers. Right. Uh, he also got all of Justice League three thousand except for issue twelve. Cool. All of Funeral for a Friend, which. Yeah, that one you're going to find a lot. Uh, <laughs> all of Maximum Carnage, except part four, in low to mid-grade. And Maximum Carnage, as ubiquitous and as kind of trash as it is, that doesn't show up very often. Oh. Uh, the the, the, the any, Anything, you know, you might find, like, spectacular Spider-Man's chapters in it, in the in the cheapo bins. But Amazing Spider-Man, for some reason, is one of those that's really tough to come by, at least in, in my neck of the woods. I bet there are more people completing runs of Amazing. That's probably it, because that's what I do. <laughs> and they, and they, don't, they don't go off into the uh, spider. Into the, know, branches. the branches, yeah. Now, he also got Superman Speeding Bullets. It's an Elseworlds story. It might be a, uh, that might be a prestige format. I, I can't recall. I'm, I'm virtually positive it has to be. Uh, it I, has I, to be, I huh? had this for the longest time. I actually uh, got an Else, the new Elseworlds collection and oh, it was in kicked there, this huh? one to the side. It was already in there. But, yeah, it, it was a prestige format. Which, But it's, it's gotcha. cool, man. It's awesome. Yeah, that's 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 really a good find for fifty cents. Uh, he also found a bunch more random issues, so not worth mentioning for fifty cents a piece. That is a terrific haul right there. It is. Uh, Dan Schwent, who is at Dan Schwent on Twitter, said his best all-time find was Creatures of the Id. This was the first appearance of Mike Allred's Frank Einstein, who would become my Madman. It's also a line from one of my favorite movies, uh, Forbidden Planet, starring Leslie Nielsen. Creatures from the id. Anyway, uh, it was all I could do to act nonchalant as I bought it and walked to my car, he says. And it's easy to see why. MyComicShop.com has a fine copy of this issue listed at 90 bucks. Near Mint goes for over $500. Mm-hmm. So, good job, Dan. Uh, this is Absolutely. really indicative of the kind of crazy indie gems you can find. If it was Madman number one instead of Creatures of the id, it was more likely the shop would have uppriced it knowing what they had in their hands. But yeah, not yeah. knowing it was hidden in there. 
Sure. That, that's kind of goes back to that uh, John Burns next men. It's like that wasn't Hellboy number one. Right. But, uh, so I, I love that that aspect of searching in the bins because so many things started in other books. Right. And uh, so you don't if you're not your your valuable book is not always going to be the number one. It very rarely is going to be the number it's, one. It's yeah. It's not always totally clear. Yeah. And, yep. and often a new character is not advertised on the cover. Certainly, certainly. Uh, we got Alan Middleton is Professor Alan from the Relatively Geeky Network and the Quarterbin Podcast. Again, links for everybody who's going to be in the show notes. He says he always passes up on the free comic book day books in the Quarterbin because it feels like he's being ripped off, and I, I know that feeling. <laughs> uh, in terms of weird, he says the PSA books that are the ones that stand out most in his, in his memory, as well as the problematically named auto racing series, Race Warrior. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. I, I found a few covers of that. It's it it's uh it's it's funny looking, yeah. It's it's not yeah. what you think, and it's just in racing. I mean that's well, a, but that's a, that's the thing, you know, like another one you don't want to have on the top of your stack as you're driving around, yeah. you know. <laughs> yep. No, the the PSA books are always uh they always stick out too because that's that's where I found uh, the Titans one. Sure, yeah. I, mean, we, I love uh, the, I love you've done those on your blog. Uh, we did we, the episode. Yeah, so uh, that's 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 the only place to get them, folks. They're never going to collect them. So if you want to no, see them, you got to go not. hit the dusty bins. <laughs> now he says the best slash most surprising find was Blackhawk number one twenty two from nineteen fifty eight. He found that for a quarter at half price books, which that's a that's a heck of a find. That's a that's a pretty huge find, I got to say. I mean, even if it was in um, you know good condition, I'm sure that sure. that'll be worth it. More yeah, than when, more than a quarter. Yeah, when you back. dip below when you dip below nineteen sixty in the quarter bins, that's a that's a special day because the fifties right? are very rare. Yeah, yeah, at least for me. Even the sixties, I would think, are somewhat rare, but at least it's, they're somewhat rare. But possible. the fifties are non-existent. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Chris, who is at Charlton Hero, the curator of the mighty Superblog team up and proprietor of the Superhero Satellite. Links will be in the show notes. He found Giant Size X-Men number one in poor condition, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number three, Dark Knight Returns number four, and Death of Superman. He says, <laughs> I, I remember fondly the 90s and all the hype around the Death of Superman and how hard it was to buy that black pre-bagged edition that I paid a handsome $50 for was in the 50-cent bin. Three of them. <laughs> I never felt so dejected to see a book that meant so much to me back in my comics buying prior to be tossed away like garbage to a refuse bin. And boy, yeah, not a hard one to get anymore. No. Uh, but uh, a star brand number one also, and he found G.I. Joe number two, which I think that one is a pretty good find too. It is, yeah, that one was underprinted, and it was uh, the first appearance of, like, Quinn the Eskimo, I think. It was, okay. Uh, it was one of those, it was a gem for the Joe line. It was a uh, sought-after one, I remember, from uh, back in the day. Uh, and we got Karen at BTP blog of the Beyond the Pages blog, where food and pop culture meet. Uh, you got to check out this site. It's a, uh, it's it's like cakes shaped like different characters. It's, it's, it's pretty wild stuff. Sounds good. Yeah, she says, Year, years ago, my husband went to a comic book convention. One of the vendors had a ton of Silver Age Marvel comics, unbagged and unpriced. He bought 20 Lee and Kirby Fantastic Four books for 10 bucks. The wow. stack included the first appearance of the Inhumans and the second appearance of Black Panther. That's unbelievable. That's like that's so, wild. That's like something where you, that happens, and then you wake up in bed, and you're like, yeah. oh, what happened? <laughs> yeah. Oh, I was yeah. dreaming. Punch the bed, yeah. Uh, wow. Paul O'Connor, who's at L Box Graveyard, writer of Four Seconds from Thrillbent Comics and proprietor of the Long Box Graveyard. There'll be a link in the show notes. 
His most memorable things he ever found in the bargain box were comics that he'd written, actually. And that is a bittersweet <laughs> moment, he can tell you. I, I can imagine, <laughs> I yeah. would bet, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Clinton Robison from uh, Coffee and Co- at Coffee Comics BLG of the Coffee and Comics blog and podcast. Links in the show notes. He says he once found a copy of Sandman Mystery Theater number 13 in a quarter bin. Doesn't sound like anything special, but he didn't realize until after he got home that it was signed by Matt Wagner. Wow. And uh, that really jogged my memory because autograph books weren't even something I can see. Or, uh, you turn them up all the here. time, right? It, yeah, they, they do pop up from time to time, and it's uh, and it's always a treat. And it's especially since you know a lot of these uh, when people sell to uh, to the comic shops, they're not going through every single book. No. It's usually like okay, you got a stack. Here's you know five dollars or whatever. Yeah, yeah. But uh, and not and uh, they uh, the the creators don't always sign the cover. So it's uh, like I I bought an issue of uh, I bought a copy of Wild Dog number two that has Max Allen Collins's signature on the inside. I'll be honest. Again, I'm far from an expert on this, but I feel like they didn't sign the cover back in the day, right? They opened it and signed next to their name if if it was there. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. was the thing. It was more like classic book because you know if you get your you get your uh, you know hardbound book Harry signed. Potter sign yeah, yeah they they're, they're going to sign the title page uh, they don't yep. they don't sign the the actual hardbound cover or anything so uh, it's funny you you mentioned that cuz i've seen a few in my life too signed mm-hmm. and like the ones i can think of are all signed on the inside whereas i bet if you were find one done in the last 20 years it's going to be the cover and if it's time with like King, a silver pen or something yeah he'll draw so he'll draw you know his little doodle on it he'll ruin it it'll mm. look like crap <laughs> and i do have a rob leafield man I signature know. too so. i know it's, it's almost, <laughs> it's, you know one day you're going to shake his hand and the universe will end i have a feeling it might that'll it be might. that'll be it uh <laughs> walt neeland good fella at walt mm-hmm. neeland who has a blog appropriately named comic reviews by walt it's a good good site, good guy. Absolutely. Uh, he, biography comics uh, could very likely be its own episode of Weird Comics History. There have been a slew of them, and they're almost always weird and or terrible. And uh, I mm-hmm. can attest to that. I've seen, <laughs> we've all seen them. If you ever went to the barber when you were a kid in the 80s, 90s, you always saw <laughs> stuff like this. Uh, Kool-Aid Man, which is one I saw you found not too long ago. I did, not too long ago. We were laughing about that one. It was issue two, right, or something like that? I think so. Uh, The Screwtape Letters from Marvel. This is an adaptation of the C.S. Lewis Christian apologetic novel, originally published in 1942. Done in association with the Christian classic series, Marvel published this in 1994. It looks pretty wild, and we will be including the cover image to this at at the blog. Which yeah. we'll mention at the very end of the show. I, it's like I don't see how this one could actually be on the shelves in 1994 next to, you know, Image Books and, and yeah. Next Books. It's next just, to, it next looks to so weird. Death Wind and you know, <laughs> yes. Blood Spurt <laughs> and uh, the Screw Tape Letters. Anyway, you know, it <laughs> takes all types, as you know. Uh, Walt also found GI Joe number two, but also 155 for a dollar. Yes. Uh, 155, covered 8 December 1984, was the wildly underprinted final issue of the Marvel Comics run. Yeah, a big one, uh, a big one, and a really good one to find because that's a very rare. I wonder if you found a buck for both of them, or a buck each. uh, I think it was a buck each. That's still great, though. I mean, that's That's still yeah. Uh, Harbinger number one, that was January 1992, covered 8. Found that for a quarter. This is the issue that launched the Valiant Universe and one that Chris has never seen in the wild. Never. Wow. And a quarter sounds like an amazingly low one. Mm-hmm. Wow, this is a great one. Every issue of Batman Year One for a quarter. That's a terrific find. 
Yep. And uh, Birds of Prey number eight for a quarter. That was the Dick and Babs date night issue that rocketed in value right out of the gate. Yeah, that one was pretty wild too. It was just like uh, it hit and Wizard blew it up. And you, I, I've, I don't think I've ever even seen it in in person. It's yeah. just and Birds of Prey was never a, you know the huge book, so it didn't you know they weren't you know shipping a hundred thousand. Right, those, right. So. I, it, you know it it has its it had and has its fans, but yeah, this wasn't like but this was the issue I guess to have if you're gonna have yeah. any. Absolutely. And uh, that's our shares here. Of course, if you have uh, if you know if you have any you want to share, we will definitely discuss them, uh, no matter what we're talking about. Right, but we'll uh, squeeze because, them in somehow. Yeah, because if we we do occasionally do mail, and uh, we're gonna do a little bit of mail right now. Yeah. <laughs> our first one's from Aaron A at Bad Touch Doctor Light. I think we've done a few of his requests. Uh, yeah, at least we, we did that Avengers Spotlight. That Avengers his. Spotlight, and I think before he did Fantastic Four Fifty One was also his request. I think. Uh, Yes, I think you're right. right. Now, he sent us a, a missive called uh, Back Issue Bin Diving, A Skill or a Curse? And yes, and yes. <laughs> <laughs> he says, long-time listener, first-time emailer. I was afflicted with the comic collector virus in the late 80s, early 90s, just in time for the boom and bust. I was unable to experience the unoiled squeaks of glee emanating from spinner racks filled with comics. I heisted comics from unobservable quarters, corners of a locally-owned drugstore. I mainlined my first taste of a well-stocked comic shop, well-stocked comic shop, straight to the dome, before it was all ripped away from me because of the bust. Thankfully, I had cartoons to fall back on. The cartoons acted, acted as my methadone to slowly wean me off the affliction. <laughs> I all but forgot my love for the genre. Well, this uh, doesn't sound like love to me, Chris, but all right. It sounds like something else. Uh, we've, we've talked about the comic addiction. Oh, we sure have. Yeah, that is that is the uh, dirty, dirty secret. Yeah, of the I'm never going to get that uh, poker chip. No, probably not. Yeah, <laughs> 30 days without. Uh, so he, he continues till around 2010. He's he, he was sat in a bar drunk around noon on a Wednesday in a rural town in northern Minnesota. It was the bartender and him, and as the only two occupants of this fine enough watering hole. When somehow the conversation about comic books came up, he says, I'm not sure if it was a commercial for a movie that ignited the conversation or what, but it came up this bartender had acquired a box of comics. Apparently, this girl came into the establishment over a year prior to try to sell trade comics for booze. She looked and seemed pretty down in her luck, but the bartender didn't feel like starting to operate the place as a personal pawn shop and declined the sale. In a huff, she stormed out, leaving the box of books behind. The bartender, not wanting to be a dick, held onto them for a considerable time before he finally put them up on eBay. She did eventually try to come back and get them over six months later, but by this time, He'd already taken the time to look up pricing, take photos, and upload them to eBay. So he told her they went in the trash. In hopes of being able to be compensated for his time, he held on to the books and they never sold. The bartender told him this story and they both had a little chuckle at the girl's stupidity. He then asked him if he was interested in buying the books himself since he had expressed some interest in the genre. He says, I said I would have to see them first. Not a problem for him because he lived above the bar. He left me sitting at the bar by myself and quickly ran upstairs to retrieve the books. He came and placed this short box, short, this short box size brown box in front of me. And the fever wafted out of the musky, mildew-scented brown paper cradling, digging its claws into me, once again into my psyche. Inside was close to a hundred books, all bagged, boarded, and priced with post-it notes declaring their value. Nothing of significant value price-wise, but to an unaware addict whose amnesia was suddenly awoke, 
It was like jumping out of a speeding car to chase after the white rabbit, and the road turned out to be made of heroin needles. Paints <laughs> <laughs> with words. I think, I think I'm done with comics after this, Chris. Wow, I didn't realize life-ruining. <laughs> he looked into the box like a Jeff, Japanese puffer fish. Inside contained two issues of Medieval Spawn slash Witchblade from Garth Ennis, a dozen or so issues of Spawn, the Todd McFarlane and Greg Capullo, a dozen She comics, a couple issues of September. Hanukkah, Painkiller Jane vs. The Darkness, probably another dozen issues each of, each of The Darkness Volume 1 and Witchblade Volume 1, a bunch of Vampirotica and like issued in like 20 issues of Vampirella. The rest have hidden themselves in the crevices of my brain movies, shifting out of phase with this earth every time I try to recollect them. I purchased the whole box for $100 with not a drunken care in the world that I might now run out of money before my next payday. Which very likely did happen. Uh, <laughs> a year goes by and uh, he says, I quit drinking, fell in love and moved to the big city with all the glittering lights, giant malls, and merchandising, merchandising, merchandising. May the Schwartz... Moitchandising, 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 moitchandising. <laughs> May the Schwartz be with you. Uh, the wife and I were perusing a half-price bookstore. Dude, I gotta, I gotta find one of these half-price bookstores, right? You do, you People do, are yeah. making out. I see them online all the time. People are just digging up gems constantly. Uh, the wife and I were perusing a half-price bookstore near the more affluent side of town one day. And I stumbled upon the back issue bin from King Midas's childhood. Almost everything was a dollar or less. There were thousands of them ranging from the early 2000s to the late 1960s. They had full bruns bundled together for super cheap of mostly 90s comics. I went there every time I had money in my pocket. I easily bought over 500 comics that contained Batman in one form or another for a dollar each. The same can be said with the X-Men. My collection exploded overnight. I was kind of still in denial of my full-blown ritualistic Jerry Fletcher-like state. Mm -hmm. I was filling boxes in my basement till I finally gave in to my comic insanity. Now I proudly display all my purchases on shelves in the basement for a fantasy world of one to see. As the wise Lars Fleed once said, MINE! Uh, the most he paid for a comic there was $45 for Batman number 159. That was the great Clayface Joker feud in very fine condition. <clears throat> Excuse me. I got Detective, he got Detective Comics 341. Uh, that's the Joker's comedy capers. And number 345, that's the first appearance of Blockbuster uh, for $10 each. Everything else was very cheap until one day they got wise and started raising their prices. Everything was a dollar more. It took them a couple of years, though. By then, I was already wanting to jump in with Rebirth from with a local comp shop blocks away. I will be slowly filling my basement for years to come, I'm sure. And it sounds like you might need to talk to somebody, Aaron, I gotta say. But... <laughs> it's, it's funny how, like, we all have those, like, years that we left. Yes. You know, we have, or those months that we just, we left. For whatever reason, if it was money, just, you know, uh, the, the common, you know, we discovered girls or... Mm -hmm. College kicked in. I mean, uh, we, I love hearing the stories of leaving and then the stories of coming back to it, and uh, and and what you and the, the fever when you come back, where it's like, especially you know at these half price books is when when you discover the dollar bins, and I'm seeing like all the all the foil covers I could never afford as a kid for a quarter. And it's like, Oh God, you know, yeah. I, you know, 12 year old Chris would be, he'd have a heart attack. I know. Yeah. So it's like, it's just so cool to, to see that fever. And it's like, cause you, you can't control yourself. It is an addiction. We've, we've talked about that. Absolutely, that, might be, yeah. that might be an episode onto itself. It could be an obsession. At best it's an <laughs> obsession we'll say, but uh, yes. yeah, it's, it's something. Yeah. 
And uh, we have another one from Jeremiah Jones. Jo- that Jeremiah Jones Goldstein. We've been talking a while. <clears throat> uh, his, his email was called All Caught Up. I'm all caught up. After listening to episode 77, that's the Heartbreak Comics, I have now listened to all the episodes of Cosmic Treadmill and Weird Comics History. Wow. Wow. Thank right. you. Even I haven't I, done that. I, I, <laughs> I mean, that's hundreds of hours of us talking. Unbelievable, yeah. Wow, thank, thank you very <laughs> thank much, you. Jeremiah. Absolutely. Incredible. That made our day. He says, what a ride it's been. I typically listen to podcasts on my ride to and from work, and you guys really make that ride so much more enjoyable, so thank you for that. I have to say that the Sugar and Spike episode was one of my favorites, and certainly one of your funniest. I thought that was one of our worst. Uh, people hated it when we did it, you remember? <laughs> they hated it. That was one of the first ones they hated because it was super long. And it was, yes. That's when it was still on the Weird Comics uh, that, that, the Weird uh, Science, weird uh, science Podcast, yes. so people were like, oh, God, this thing went on, but that was also one of the first ones where you and I were just dying the whole time. We were like, what is happening? This stupid comic. It's unbelievable. <laughs> he continues, uh, the way you describe the characters and what these unsupervised babies doing were hilarious. You've really got me interested in comics history and the comic book industry. Between the podcast, Chris's daily Infinite Earths blog posts, and Mark Ivanier's blog, I really recommend checking out his blog and his collected essays, I have learned amazing things about this hobby. I've gone out and bought comics that I probably never would have checked out otherwise. Yeah, and Mark Ivanier is a... Big resource big for us. historian, yes. Yeah. Uh, we, yes. We, I've used his blog and his articles many, many times in doing research Absolutely. for our shows. He's uh, a yeah. He's, I mean, yeah, he knows a lot just off the top of his head. Uh, Certainly. Jeremiah continues. He says, I wanted to comment on the last two episodes, which were not... <laughs> <laughs> this, this, is, this is not a brand new email, folks. So this is the last two from when he wrote. We're slow. Yeah, uh, seven, episode seventy-seven and seventy-six. I, uh, I thought it was really cool how you each picked out something that you liked and the other had not read before. I think it was a really neat idea. You read you read so many comics that your listeners request. I thought it was really interesting to hear what you would pick for yourselves. I enjoyed both episodes very much. You should definitely do it again sometime. And he does talk about it, but that's when you picked uh, Monster for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, the manga, which is my first manga, and I picked Reed Fleming. Actually, it was Heartbreak yep. Comics. Heartbreak Comics, yep. But, uh, yeah, both both things that were personally important to us, and we had the uh, other guy dig into him. That was that was a good thing. Maybe we'll do that again someday yeah, down maybe. the line. Yeah, that was a lot of fun. Uh, he goes on, the Monster episode was really fun. I figured when you said it was a manga comic and it was called Monster, for sure it was going to be a kaiju story. So <laughs> I first saw the title. For the first for the whole first half of the comic, I kept thinking, when are they going to reveal when, which of these doctors <laughs> is breeding monsters in his basement? <laughs> that would have turned out to be a murder mystery set in Cold War era Germany. I was really thrown for a loop. It, uh, me too. I was it's <laughs> much more than you think it is. Uh, anyway, I really enjoyed the episode and thought it was one of your best readings yet. And yes. It did make me want to seek out the comic to see what happens to the story. Well, that's terrific. Awesome. Also wanted to ask about the book on Satanic Panic you bought in Montreal. That's right. I talked about that, and I meant to actually look at who, what it, who wrote it, but I didn't. I forgot to do that part. But I, I will <laughs> uh, be in the show you, notes. I, I'll, I'll put it. No, I'll, I'll send it to you. Uh, <laughs> send him a DM, a DM or somehow reveal yeah. it to to him uh, that I bought in Montreal. What was the name of the book? It was called Satanic Panic. It's really a collection of essays. Uh, was it interesting? Yes, and I, and you hear the tentativeness in my voice. But, uh, the the essays are not all breezy reading, but they're very well researched. Uh, I would say if you if you didn't live through that time, you probably get a lot out of it. Uh, if you did live through that time, you might be bored by it. But there's still a ton of stuff that I read that I didn't know. 
But a lot of it to me was like, well, I, you know, I remember, I remember people thinking Satan was in the daycare or whatever. So uh, I liked it. Yeah, I did like it. I think it's the only book of its kind to really delve into the satanic panic of the 1980s and the 90s in that depth. So I'll send that information to you, Jeremiah. Don't you worry. He says, I'm very interested in this subject matter, having been young at that time, playing D&D and listening to heavy metal. I was really only aware of the panic from things on TV. I never met an adult at that time that ever seemed concerned that my brother and I might be trying to summon demons <laughs> when we were playing role-playing games and drinking Cherry 7-Up. The Cherry 7-Up is very demonic, though. It is, it is. Uh, finally, I really like what you did with the blogspot.com site. looks really good. Thank you very much. We finally yes. started uh, updating it regularly. That's <laughs> the difference. But also, Chris did install a lot of uh, stuff early on that he probably is about to what he's talking about. Anyway, keep up the great work, and I'll be listening. And thank you very much, Jeremiah. Great, Absolutely. Great fan, great listener, great everything. I can't believe you listen to every single one. That's, That's... a lot, boy. <laughs> Our last email for the day is from Luke Hollywood. He says, what's up, Chris, Reggie, and their cosmic treadmill? This is my first time mailing into the show, and honestly feel bad that it is, considering the amount of entertainment your show provides every week. I can honestly say that the hard work and research the two of you put into each and every episode of both the treadmill and the Weird Comics History series has helped me to understand and comprehend the vast history of the comics medium to a much greater extent and taught me to appreciate appreciate it on a whole other level. You managed to keep the show both entertaining and informative, a hard combination to pull off. I joke that you guys are like the sages of comic books with your wisdom, but really your capacity to share that wisdom and your own history with comic books without talking down to the listener, to share your research and personal findings to the listener on a on completely equal footing is an admirable feat. That, uh, uh I, we're, we're getting glowing. Wow. I didn't really think I was that much of a feat, <laughs> but thank you very much. No, Luke. thank you. Absolutely. <laughs> no, that's something we, we, uh, we try, we, as I think we've all listened to, like, not, not even just comic shows, but just shows where it is, you know, coming from a point of authority or a point right. of, uh, knowledge where it's kind of like, you know, you sit down, we're going to, we're going to learn you something. Right. I, it's not what we ever wanted or, to do. Or this even is... the other way, a lot of times they take a lot of assumptions for granted about what the listener knows sure, and doesn't sure. know. And that's something we're always on the lookout. That's why if you're like Jeremiah and you listen to all of our episodes, you find that we do repeat ourselves, but it's because you never know, you never know who's listening and, and we treat everybody as new to this, you know. Uh, sure, potentially sure. potentially new to the information and uh frankly we love it you know what i mean it really yeah. it, a lot of it is just uh you know it's where our minds are at uh you know chris is uh, it's funny this episode really kind of reveals our philosophies about comics i have mm. I, I i'm fine with getting reprint collections and reading these uh long view books about comics history you read those too but you're a you know you're you're diving in the bins Picking mm-hmm. up the single issues, you're more in the trenches. I would say I'm. I'm in the. Uh, I'm in the um, air control tower or whatever. But yes. <laughs> but we 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 come together on this same love, the shared history of the medium. And, sure. Uh, yeah. It, it's it's never selling it short. Never, you know, saying it's any one thing. You know, and being able to talk about the breadth of it, and that's it's been a great time for me. But yeah, because uh, 
Yeah, because comics history is is also I think we said this during the first real comics history that it's not just comics history it's our history it is yeah and uh, I mean so many of these things like like that box of uh, horror comics you got that shaped the way you view entertainment uh, you know the, I was the, the right age when things like Image Comics hit and Wizard hit and the speculation boom hit so it's kind of it's it's kind of like growing up in that house where your parents wouldn't give you cookies and then when you move out all you do is eat cookies right right. <laughs> <laughs> so I had I had like Wizard Magazine telling me no 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 this book's too expensive for you and now they're not anymore. Yeah, so well, I'm, it I'm learned binging. a hard lesson. <laughs> <laughs> and instead of my waistline getting bigger, it's it's boxes <laughs> seams bursting. Uh, Luke goes on. He says, "I can't even begin to imagine all the work you put into the research for any given comic topic at all, let alone the fully voice acted scripts with the different accents, which are personally the highlights of every episode for me." Oh, my throat. Thanks, you. Uh, now, basically, all I'm saying is where the cosmic, where is the Cosmic Treadmill Patreon so I can show my support? Uh, we don't have one. Of we're those. not good. Not good at that, yeah. <laughs> no, we're not good at that back end no. stuff. Uh, now, the, the rest of Luke's email are uh, topic suggestions, comic suggestions. And since we'll likely be covering them, we do not want to spoil them here. We like to have a little bit of mystery. No, yeah, but we, we do want to cover at least some we even talked about, like, yeah, that'd be a cool episode and, you know, uh, yeah. bouncing things back and forth. But. Thank you very much, Luke. You know, I got to say, my uh, sister-in-law asked me, like, how about how long does it take you to research an episode of, uh, you know, Cosmic Treadmill or do you need to write it out? I was like, let me think about it. <laughs> it. It takes like, it could take as much as like 15 to 20 hours all told. I mean, really, you oh, know yeah. what I mean? Depending on the top, especially those history ones too, really. Those are, yeah. They can really crank out. Cosmic Treadmill, I put it more on the 10 side, but then. Some of them they go long, and I, I don't even think about it at the time. I'm having I'm no, having such just, a good time doing the research, doing the uh, scripting, the breakdowns, yep. everything. You know what I mean? Like I don't even really think I don't see it as work, but I'm like, wow, here it is a part time job basically, and uh, mm -hmm. we're cranking out episodes, and we're going to keep cranking out episodes until either we read every comic ever printed, right? We're getting that. That we're we're, we're, we're chipping away, <laughs> or until more likely our uh, voices. Fall out of our throats or whatever, or our, our, our voice boxes blow up <laughs> because that could very well happen. But uh, thank well, we, you. We do have a YouTube page. We could do it by mime. That's true. Maybe maybe we can finally do uh, maybe the ALS, the uh, sign language, right? Yes. We'll do shadow puppets. Whatever, whatever works. You know, uh, yeah. We'll be able to do the computer voice. You know, and and Batman says, "You have eaten well." You know that kind of thing. So. Uh, Thank you guys for writing and thanks to everyone Absolutely. for participating, letting us know about your, uh, you know, crap box as, finds, as yeah. well as your golden finds. Anyone else wants to share more of those with us, or if you want to talk about gymnastics, number one oh, or yes. number two, or maybe you want to pitch a gymnastics story. Yeah, so, or maybe you're Bill Mitchell and you somehow came across this and you'd like to talk to us. Please, please do write to us at weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash cosmic t mill history. We're on Twitter at cosmic t mill, and I'm at Reggie Reggie. I'm at Ace Comics. You can find our weekly writings at weirdsciencedccomics.com and Chris's daily writings at Chris's on infiniteearth.com. Where he reviews a new, a different DC comic. I keep saying new, but that couldn't be less right. It's a different <laughs> Very DC comic. Seldom new. Never, yeah. Sometimes <laughs> they're within the last uh, couple of months, but months, yeah. Very rarely, yeah. Never that week's comic that I that I can remember. And uh, but a different DC one. And uh, today was say, the uh, 
Return to Action some, Comics from when they went. Some action they, comics. That's yep. right. When from when they were an anthology, which I vaguely remember that happening. Still yes. gunning for that hundred action comics before number thousand drops. Oh, April eighteenth, right? You know, number nine nine nine's coming out in like a week yeah. or something. So uh, <laughs> it's bearing down on you, Chris. You better. It is. It's going to be a lot of action comics, I think, for a while. But you got to go check it out. It's yeah. you know, you go back into the archives. He's got. Uh, comics out the wazoo, always great commentary, pictures throughout, plus the ads, you can't beat it, folks. The next best thing to read in the comic. Mm-hmm. And you don't have to dig through a box. Right. Uh, now, uh, we also have our show blood, weirdcomics.blogspot.com, where we keep our show notes, and uh, this week, there's going to be a lot of show notes, because uh, we're including a lot of the cover issue, uh, cover images from the uh, from the shared uh, finds. So yeah. uh, cool. if you want to see what a rabid Rachel looks like, you're going <laughs> to. If you want to see what a Shalom man looks like, well, you're going to meet him too. Uh, so there's going to be a lot of pictures on there, so it'll be a, it'll be a good time. And uh, again, if anybody has any they want to share, we'll throw them right on up there. Yeah, let us know. We could just add them onto the page, and that, that'll be a good time to look at a batch of weird, weird comics. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can also hear, listen to me Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Eastern for three hours on Mixer.com slash DC. I have a show called Something Smells where I play funk, hip-hop, weird music, sometimes jazz. You never know what you're going to find there, but uh, that's <laughs> me. Uh, you can search Weird Comics History, as one word, on YouTube.com to find us. Uh... Because our, our, we don't have a uh, real channel. <laughs> no, not yet. It's, it's still <laughs> youtube.com slash... That's, that's actually it phonetically. Uh, <laughs> and before we go, we definitely want to thank everyone to, for contributing to the hook of this episode. Uh, we love the community uh, and uh, learning about everybody's finds and sharing our own. And uh, it's, just a, it's just a real good time. Absolutely. It's one of our favorite things to hear about people's, you know, the comics are important to them and why. Mm-hmm. And uh, that's that's just the kind of thing that spurred us to start the show in the uh, first place. But I think that's all we got from this week, Chris. Got anything else for him? That'll do us. Well, until next time, folks, I want you to keep it on the treadmill bringishly. Fools rushing where angels fear to tread. And so I come to you, my love, my heart above my head. Though I see the danger there, if there's a chance for me, then I don't care. Fools rush in where wise men never go. But wise men never fall in love So how are they to know